church today, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful for our time of worship and likewise grateful um, that we get to pray together. That's why we come to church as, as a family of faith to be able to grow together in our faith. I was sharing this with uh, my oldest son. Um, why do you come to church on Sunday? Why, why do you take the effort as a Christian to get into Bible study, to build community? Why, why all the effort for us post-pandemic and hurricanes and in the midst of wars and turmoil and personal problem? Why go to church? And the reality of that is there is no other place in the world that you're going to get truth. There's no other place in the world that you're going to get not just truth, not just someone's opinion. You're going to get God's truth. You're going to get what God says to you as a believer, to you as a person, and to we members of the body of Christ, his church, which isn't just this congregation. It is congregations gathered around our city, our, our country, and also around the world of which we've prayed for this morning. Um, there are a lot of good things happening. I, this series, Bloom, is all about life. And, and the book that we're going through, the books actually, the letters in the New Testament, First and Second Peter, are all about what it means to have life in Christ. And I think it's very appropriate in our world today as we see what's happening around us. But also, if we take the last couple of years and we see the challenges... We see how to return to our first true love, how to return to Christ, and how to grow in Christ, how to bloom. And so that's what we're talking about. One of the things I'm excited about here at Calvary, and you saw this in the video, is there are a lot of ways for you to connect back into the family here at Calvary, connect back to life after all of the events of the last couple of years. Um, there's events for your students coming up, Disciple Now Weekend, where teenagers get God's truth. Uh, parents, you'll see, matter of fact, this morning, you see our Calvary family calendar. Every one of you should have received that. You have that. You can take a look at it, and you will see March, April, May, and June. There's a lot planned to help you reconnect into the body of Christ here at Calvary and your family to grow in faith. Um, a great way to launch back into your faith where you bloom in Christ. Um, last night I was saying my, my prayers with um, my youngest son as I was tucking him in bed. And I've noticed in the last couple of weeks he started saying this in his prayers. And I don't want to embarrass him, but I thought this was really powerful. He said, and God, in his prayer, God help us to bloom in our faith. Now we all need to be praying that, don't we? Help us to bloom in our faith. That's his simple way of understanding what we've been talking about, um, but yet so profound and powerful for all of us. We need that. Men, you saw in our video, by the way, and I want to remind you that once a month we have a time of encouragement in the Word together. Um, 7 a.m. this Saturday is that time, led by a team of our men, David Brubaker, doing the study. Breakfast, so there you go. I just sold it, right? Breakfast. 7 to 9 Saturday morning, just an opportunity for you to reconnect as a man. And I realize you may have things going on, but there's nothing greater than becoming a kingdom man. And that's just the beginning of us recreating life here at Calvary and getting back to helping you bloom in your faith. 
this morning we're going to take a key step forward in that. As you know, a part of our culture is, is Mardi Gras, and so there have been parades and lots of things happening. It was nice to actually see life in our city again. It was really good to have a lot of people in the city and to see people in life returning to our city. We've even seen that in our city, uh, the mass mandates will be dropped. So that's exciting. There's a, some rollback on some other things. So there's a sign not only like spring brings life, there's a sign of life returning. And, and as a part of that, I, I hope that you will recommit to growing in your faith, blooming in your faith. And this morning, we're going to take communion together. We're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. And I think today's a great day because for many in our culture, it's begun this Lenten season where there's this sacrifice, this giving up of something. But you know, it's, it's one thing to sacrifice something and give it up, but not really know why or the meaning behind it. And this morning, I, I'm excited not only to walk through a powerful portion of the letter that Simon Peter wrote to Christians, but also for us to take communion. Because communion reminds us that it's not our sacrifice that saves us. It's the sacrifice of Jesus that counts. It's not what you give up to make you acceptable to God. It's what God gave up to make you acceptable to him. God gave up Christ. And anything that I think that I can give or measure to God that equals to the sacrifice of Christ is but the scripture calls rubbish. It's trash before God. If I think that my sacrifice will earn me a better standing with God, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is nothing in and of ourselves that will earn us a better status or a more holier perspective with God than the blood of Jesus and the sacrifice of his son that covers those who by faith realize that's the sacrifice. And by the way, I always joke about our culture. Um, it's one thing to try to give something up in our culture, particularly like giving up your meat maybe on Friday when you got the best seafood on the planet. I mean, there's no sacrifice really there that we can give to measure up to the greatness of the blood of Christ. Really, people, it's time for us to understand the power of what it means to bloom in our faith and in our relationship with Jesus. And so today's message from 1 Peter, I'm taking a phrase right out of the passage of the letter. But today's message is all about what it means to revere Christ as Lord. Simon Peter talks about what it means to revere, to, to hold in the highest esteem of all Jesus Christ as Lord. So we'll read from 1 Peter chapter 3 today. Verse 13 through the end of the chapter, chapter 3, verse 13 through 22. And as we pick up each week where we left off, verse 13, and how appropriate in following up in his dialogue about governments, who, by the way, will be proven to be foolish when people who have the right kind of behavior shine the light of Christ. They prove those who are ignorant. Are you not seeing that in our world today? Those who take on a different perspective and identity than those who are oppressive and destructive. Simon Peter continues in that, not only talking about world governments, but how our 
homes should operate, how we as servants in our jobs should operate, and how we as people in the world should operate. He picks up right there in verse 13, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He has put to death in the body, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And after being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. What a great letter and a great appropriate passage for us to look at today as Christians, as we sit here in the United States of America and as we look at our place in the world and as we think about our place in the family of God, a child of God, redeemed by the blood of God's Son who sacrificed in a way that we never could. It is Jesus who we must revere. And the life lesson today is simple as we walk through this passage to prepare our hearts to draw closer to the Lord, to remember what he's done through communion, through the Lord's Supper. The life lesson is simple. We bloom when we revere Christ as Lord. We bloom as Christians. We grow. We, we reveal our fruit, our character when... We revere Christ as Lord. And that begs the question, who do we revere as Lord in our life? <laughs> well, that's interesting because you have people in other countries who want to be revered as Lord over their world, right? Uh, you see that in all types of government realities today. Perhaps it's in a relationship. You have a dysfunctional relationship and so someone wants to be revered as Lord. 
Uh, maybe what we revere as Lord is, is not someone, but something. Maybe it's finance. Maybe it's the job that you have and you revere that as Lord. Maybe it's a bad habit. Maybe it's an addiction. The challenge for all of us is that somewhere in life, we are going to revere someone or something as Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? Lord means that you have the authority. Lord means that whoever we revere or whatever we revere, that is the thing to which we submit. That is the thing that ultimately has control over our life, control over our thoughts, control over our bodies, control over our attitudes and actions. We all have some type of Lord in our lives. There are all types of things that we will surrender our will to, our minds to, our hearts to, our actions to. Simon Peter says to the Christians, in a world not dissimilar from ours, revere Jesus Christ as your Lord. The key for you succeeding in life is to revere, to have deep reverence, honor, total respect, total submission to someone who is, watch this, worthy to be Lord, worthy to be recognized as Lord. The innate human will is that we don't want to surrender or submit to anyone. That's just the way that we are, much less God, especially if God says something contrary to what I believe or I feel or I've been taught or the way that I was raised. We don't want God messing with our business, much less anyone else. <laughs> Simon Peter says to you, child of God, saved by the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice of Christ, the precious blood of Jesus that brings us into a true relationship that saves us. Child of God, Jesus Christ is worthy to be your Lord. Jesus Christ is the one who holds the reins of your life in such a way that is honorable respectful, kind, that has your best, that is not oppressive or deceptive. No, Jesus is the kind of Savior that we should revere because he loves us enough to not only speak the truth but to guide us into a life that is different than anything this world can offer. When I think about revering Christ as Lord, Simon Peter gives some characteristics of people who revere Christ as Lord. This is the church. This is Christians. Now, some of these you may struggle with. I may struggle with because as I look at them, I go, well, this is what he says, but yet is that how I live? Is this the model of life that I have in my heart, in my actions, in my mind as a Christian? And as he describes people who revere Christ as Lord, as he gives them this challenge, Simon Peter speaking to them, he describes a people who know how to live. A people who know how to live, how to truly live. And how to truly live is not measured by how much you have, how many vacations you can take, how much time you get off, um, how much you can afford to do. How to truly live is not measured by your health. 
How to truly live is measured by your relationship with Christ and how much you revere him. And to revere Christ above all else triggers certain actions within his children that allow them to show how to really live in a world that's trying to figure it out, but can't. Here's how the people of Christ truly live. First and foremost, they are people who are eager to do good. He talks about this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? Well, in normal circumstances, no one's going to harm you if you're eager to do good. But life's not always normal. So sometimes you're going to suffer even if you choose to do the right thing. I, I think it doesn't take a rocket scientist or Elon Musk to show us today that our world calls a lot of things good that are quite destructive for us. And those who proclaim good become people who are ridiculed because they actually cause others to think about God's standard for all of humanity. We see that our world has mistreated those and continues to put down those who perhaps would speak truth. Good, wholesome, common sense, biblical truth to God's people, and you'll see those type of people persecuted. You've seen over the last couple of years that that has happened more and more and that the world gets more divisive. There is a reality that you perhaps as a believer and a child of God could be persecuted because you do good in Jesus' name. Just think of the church that I mentioned a moment ago in our prayer time. Do you think that that church is appreciated by the occupying forces that are inside of Ukraine right now because that church, in the name of Jesus, is providing food, shelter, and clothing for people who are refugees? I mean, there are those who would say, no, you're, you're on the wrong side there, right? But is that going to stop them from doing the right thing in Jesus' name? No. And it's not about how much they have. No, they are eager to do good. People who revere Jesus Christ are eager to do good, to do good for others, to do good with their lives. Not just good for themselves in business, but how can they leverage themselves and their talents to achieve certain things in business that will become a blessing to others that perhaps don't have as much. People who are seeking to do good in Jesus' name don't just join social causes. They join social causes in the name of Jesus because they realize that all the social causes of the world are only a vehicle to lead towards something greater. Soul peace, eternal peace, the peace of Christ, and knowing God, a God that is with you in all seasons, when it's great, when it's good, and when it's terrible and not so good. People who are reverent of Jesus, understand the value of Jesus. They know how to live because they are eager to do good. But also, these are people who know how to live because, watch this, they are people who are blessed in all seasons. They are blessed in all seasons. All seasons when they have and all seasons when they don't. 
All seasons when their health is good and all seasons when their health is failing. All seasons when the business is working and the money's coming in and all seasons when it's thin. They know how to do with and they know how to do without because they trust in the one who provides it all, who is in charge of it all, who is working it all out to his plan. They trust in Christ, they rever him, and therefore, in their reverence of Christ, they are blessed in all seasons. Have you ever been blessed with the presence of God when life brought you a thin season, when your life felt like a famine? Have you felt the hand of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the presence of God when it all fell apart, when it went to hell in a handbasket in your life? Did you know that God was with you, that Jesus held you, that he would never let you go? Have you ever felt that? That is a blessing that only the children of God have because if your blessing is only in the things of this world when they're taking, taken away, you have no hope. You give up. You give in. And Satan has a field day in your heart, in your mind, in your soul, and with your body. That's not the children of God. And even then, as Simon Peter would write to a church persecuted today, it is so true for you and I and that's in this world. As American Christians and as those who are in other parts of the world, we are blessed by Jesus in all seasons. Even if you should suffer for what is right, Simon Peter says, you are blessed. Even if you should stand up for the truth and be persecuted, you are blessed. God is on the side of those who stand up for his truth, even when the challenges come. God will bless those. He blesses us when it's good, and he blesses us in the challenges of all seasons, even when perhaps you're threatened. And that's the third thing about people who know how to live. This is important. People who know how to live because they revere Christ, because they understand Christ's role in their life, because their hearts are bound to him, and they understand what it means to serve him as Lord. He is in control of their lives. These are people who know how to overcome fears. Knowing how to overcome fears. Now, fear is interesting. Each one of us will have our own type of fear. But detach yourself right now, perhaps, from the fear that you may have of whether or not there's going to be enough income or your health is going to last for another year or so. Detach yourself from a moment for a moment from that. And now place yourself in another country. Let's just say Ukraine. Now, what would fear look like for you if you are a Ukrainian citizen that has understood what it means to have a semblance of democracy and you have an occupying force that is constantly shelling, bombing, and shooting at you? What does fear look like for you? It's a whole different feel all of a sudden. You know what's fascinating if you watch the news is that you have ordinary citizens. You have children. You have widows like the pastor's wife that I've mentioned to you over the last couple of weeks who are standing firm in the face of an oppressor, who are standing firm in the, in the face of someone with a greater military, a greater army, with greater capacity, and yet they stand firm. They have to overcome their fear. Now, what a great analogy for you and I today because of what are you afraid? Are you afraid of not receiving the next promotion, of not getting the next opportunity? 
Are you afraid that something doesn't feel right in your life or that you're going in a wrong direction? Are you afraid that God's upset at you? Are you, are you afraid of a relationship that is something that, gosh, I don't know what to do with it. I need to be in it. I need to get out of it. Are you afraid that your health is failing? What is your fear? And I want to help you with that. Because Simon Peter helps the church then over, overcome their fear by saying, do not fear their threats. What's the voice that's speaking threats into your head, into your life? What's the challenge? Do not fear those and do not be afraid. Do you realize that's one of the most common phrases in Scripture every time God shows up? And do we need God to show up in our lives today in very practical, tangible ways in our lives? Every time God shows up, the first thing that he has to say, whether it's through a messenger like an angel or even Jesus walking on water, has to say to his children, to people of faith just like you, do not be afraid. Children who revere Christ as Lord in their life. They know how to live because they are people who overcome their fears. So take your fear, fill in the blank, and tell it today, you have no place in my life because Jesus is Lord of my life and he's Lord over you. And that's how you begin to overcome your fears. Children and people who love Jesus, revere Jesus as their Lord, they're eager to do good. They're blessed in all seasons. They overcome fears. And watch this. They are people who are gentle and respectful. People who revere Christ Jesus as Lord. This is a great litmus test for us as Christians. Or for anyone who claims to be a Christian. They are people who are gentle and respectful. I might insert the word kind. Do you know what it's like to encounter a kind person? Someone who is kind to you, perhaps even when you don't deserve it, when I don't deserve it, but they're kind, they're gentle, and they're respectful in their dealing with you. Do you know what it's like for that to happen in a professional setting? I mean, it moves you when you encounter someone like that in a professional setting because you don't encounter it quite often. Usually, you encounter a supervisor, perhaps, who's trying to boost the bottom line and they need production and that's understandable and yet to get that what do they do they they bring it out on you they take it out on you perhaps you've worked with or for someone like that perhaps you are the someone who is like that and perhaps you're really kind in church because it's Sunday and you get to sit there and um, enjoy and participate and yet you're going to show up tomorrow and you're going to be a horse's patoot let me just tell you something. Yeah, that's my nice way of saying what I really wanted to say, right? Which we could probably say down here in New Orleans, but I'm not going to say that, right? But you know what I'm saying. But that's not a characteristic of someone who has reverence for the worthy Lord who doesn't treat them that way as a sinner. 
When you think about how Christ treats his children, that is the motivation for how we then treat others. And Jesus told stories about this. And Simon Peter sat front row to these stories. And he remembers the stories about people who were forgiven much, but then went and exacted their toll on those who owed them. And Jesus would say, look, someone who does that, there's no place for them in the kingdom of heaven. What? And Jesus would say, why? Because that's not showing that you understand lordship. And if you don't understand lordship here in kindness, gentleness, and respect, the same that Christ has for his church and for his people, then there's no way for you to show it here to the people around you. Simon Peter talks about, if anyone asks you for the hope that is within you, you share that. But you do it with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that when you're spoken maliciously about, they may understand rather your good behavior in Christ and it will put to shame their slander. It is kindness, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It is the kindness of God that shows us his grace and his mercy and people who understand what it means to revere Christ as Lord, they are people who are gentle and respectful in how they respond to those around them, particularly even in sharing the good news of Christ with them. Here's the last one. People who know how to live, they are able to keep a clear conscience. People who know how to live are able to keep a clear and a clean conscience. Do you realize one of the things that weighs most of us down most of the time, is that our conscience is not clean. We feel guilty about things. We, we make wrong decisions on a constant basis, perhaps. Maybe that's an addiction or a temptation that you genuinely, authentically, people we struggle with, and it weighs you down. It makes you feel dirty. It makes you feel unclean. Or maybe it is in your attitude, you know, that you want to embrace a cause or a culture or a background or an attitude, but yet that doesn't fit the way of Jesus and his church and his children. And so in embracing that, your conscience is clouded. And that happens a lot in the world. People deal with a conscience. Why do, why do people want to go to a priest for forgiveness? Because hopefully, perhaps... It can cleanse my conscience. Why do people want to go to see someone professional, a professional therapist? Because perhaps it can help you cleanse your conscience. But a human can only take you so far. The Lordship of Christ can cleanse your conscience for good. The Lordship of Christ means that when I answer, I answer to Jesus. When I need direction, Jesus provides that direction. When I need forgiveness, I'm probably not going to get it from people, but I am going to get it from Jesus when I go to him truly, reverently, as my Lord, authentically, genuinely before him and acknowledge where I'm off, where my thinking's off, where my actions are off, where I've missed the mark. And Jesus, I need you to cleanse me. People who revere Christ as Lord, they know how to live by keeping their conscience clean. Think about it. In our lives, there are things that we know create guilt. Feelings of being dirty or distant from God. God never moves. God never changes. 
God didn't back up when he sent Jesus. God put a marker in the ground, which is a cross with the blood of his son on it and said, here's my position. I'm not moving. You know who moves? We do. You know who moves further away by our actions? We do. You know whose attitude changes? Our attitude toward ourselves and our attitude towards him. But he never does. He doesn't change. The Bible says his character doesn't change. He doesn't minimize his standard to get down low to our standard. No, he put a cross up that says, I will crucify the standard so that you can be saved and that your conscience can be clean and that you can bloom. You can grow. And how does that happen? Only when I learn more and more as a Christian to revere Christ as Lord. To put him as Lord in my life. Not as just best buddy and best friend. He's Lord. And if he says something, he's the kind of Lord that is guiding me in the right direction for my good. For his kingdom's good. For the church's good. For the world's good. He's that kind of Savior and that kind of God. And people with a clear conscience, they then know how to live and how to act. Because they are the kind of people who do good. Who are blessed and are a blessing who stand for truth and overcoming fears, who are kind by being gentle and respectful, and they keep a clear conscience. And who are these people? That's the second and the last thing that we'll look at. These are people who revere Christ as Lord. Now, I realize you're going, well, that's what you've been saying the whole time. Right. It sometimes takes repetition to get it into our brains. People who revere Christ as Lord know how to live. So what does it mean to revere Christ as Lord? First, these are people who know the answer to eternal life. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, verse 15 says, and be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. What is the hope that is in you? What is the hope that dwells within you? Is it that you'll make more money? Is it that war, wars will end? Is it that you'll look better, be stronger, be healthier? What is the hope that is in All of those are temporary. What is the hope that is in you? The hope that is in you, if you have surrendered to Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the hope that is in you is that you have the life of Christ, the forgiveness of Christ, the mercy of Christ applied to your life, that you are living and not dead, and that even in this world, when the body decays, you will live forever. The memory that you leave behind will not be forgotten because you lived for Christ, did good for Christ. You have this hope that God is going to make things right. God is going to do his work. Your hope is in the one who owns it all, is in charge of all, is going to work it all out. Your hope is in the living, not the dead. Your hope is in life and light, not darkness. Your hope is in Jesus. And people who revere Christ as Lord, they know, they know the hope that is in them, the eternal life that they have. Always be prepared. The people that love Jesus, revere Christ, they are able to give an answer for the hope that is in them. They are able to speak about what's in them. Now, if you asked yourself this question or asked someone else this question, um, are you certain 
that you will go to heaven when you leave this world? One of the answers that you perhaps will get is, I hope so. That's not the hope that Simon Peter is talking about. Simon Peter is talking about those who know Jesus, know so. The hope is that they know they have been given the hope and the assurance of heaven because of their faith and relationship with Christ. They revere Christ that much. And they don't hope so. A lot of people that hope so, they hope so because they hope that they do more good than they do bad. And that maybe in God's cosmic scale, he'll measure it out and go, well, they were a pretty good person. They did a little more good than bad. And that's not a good enough answer. Because it's based on our goodness, our morality, our moral compass, which is bent in the wrong direction most of the time. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, says Scripture. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And anyone who knows Jesus Christ as their Lord knows and has the answer for eternal life. It's Christ and their relationship with him and they rever revere him as Lord. They have an ever-present and eternal hope. Hope is not just for eternity. It is now. Hope for now. Hope for God's goodness now. Simon Peter talks about the church, if it's God's will, that you would suffer even for doing good. So there's hope in suffering even when you're doing good. There's something good that will come through suffering even when you have to walk through it. When you have to go through that season of life where it's challenging, thin, and you feel defeated, you feel discouraged, you feel like death, and you feel depressed, there's hope even in that because you know that God is battling on your behalf, there is this ever-present sense that Jesus is with you through his Holy Spirit, sealed as a child of God. You're going to get through this. One way or another, there is this hope. It is ever-present. And if I lose in this world, it's eternal. You win anyways. You win anyways because of your relationship with Christ, the church as a part of the body of Christ, being involved in the work of Christ. And if you suffer because that's God's will and sometimes God allows it, that's one of those great questions. Why does God allow good people to go through bad things? Well, I'm looking around the room and pretty much I know a lot of us as good people have gone through a lot of bad things. And sometimes in God's will, he allows us to go through that because you'll never shine as bright for Jesus as you will in the midst of suffering. Just ask the Ukrainians who are fighting for their freedom. They're fighting through suffering, and yet, who are you looking at as heroes right now? Everyday people who are saying, you know what? I'm not giving up on hope, and their hope is in for their country. Imagine the power of your hope who's in Jesus. It's a powerful thing because there's this ever-present, even in this world, and eternal hope. People who revere Christ as Lord, they understand the price paid for their freedom. The price paid for their freedom. And this is what the Bible says in verse 18. 
Christ suffered once for our sins. Listen to this. The righteous, that means he was sinless. For the unrighteous, that would be all of us. And why did he do that? Very simply, Simon Peter says this. He did that to bring you to God. Jesus did that to bring you to God. People who revere Christ understand the price that was paid for their freedom. And that's why in a moment we will remember that price. And we'll understand the power of his sacrifice over and above anything we think we could do to earn that. People who revere Christ as Lord know the value of God's patience. There's this passage in here, and I'd love to dive a little deeper into it this morning, but I'll have to pause because we're going to have the Lord's Supper in a moment. But there's this passage that talks about Noah and the flood and this connection to baptism, right? And there's this analogy that Simon Peter goes through. And what's the big point of the analogy that he tells about the flood. God was patient. God was patient. For how long? Do you know how long it took to build the ark? Do you know how long the world ridiculed Noah and his family? Do you know how long there was suffering and persecution in the midst of that? And did they give up? No. And why did all of that happen? God was kind. God gave them all types of warnings in his patience to say, hey, look, you can repent and this flood won't happen. You know what everybody else did? You're just kidding. We got a little more time. Let me keep doing it my way and then I'll get right with God. Noah, you're crazy. Your God doesn't exist. He's not that kind of God. He's just one of many. He's just a figment of your imagination. You ever heard all of these things before in your life? But God allows all that to happen. And he's patient. Simon Peter will go on later and say, why is God patient? Because he doesn't want anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want anyone to suffer an eternity separated from him. That's not what God wants. God wants us all to be repentant. And so how does he exercise that? In patience, patience toward us. And as he talks about the flood, the flood is a picture of how sin was covered by water and new life began out of water. Have you ever seen that symbol exercised, by the way? Well, Jesus did it first. Jesus, he showed that his humanity in obedience to God was covered and he was baptized to show what he would do on the cross. Dead, buried, resurrected. Now, Christian, what does that mean for you? Well, that's hopefully you've been baptized. And I don't mean by just a casting of a little sprinkle of water on you. I mean burying the whole thing. Baptizo, the word Greek, to bury and immerse. Hopefully you've done that as an expression of your faith. And if you haven't, this passage should motivate you to revere Christ. Because if Jesus get it, did it, number one, it's good enough for us. But number two, it shows a picture that who you are without Christ is gone, buried, covered, forgotten about, forgiven, and it doesn't matter. And who you are with Jesus is a new creation to walk with Christ. That's the picture. People who revere Christ, that means something to them. That's how important Jesus is to them. And therefore, they understand that the whole salvation experience and the whole resurrected with Jesus to walk with Jesus is a picture of God's patience. And it's the way to live. Because Jesus has done that for them. He's covered and buried who they were without him. And he's raised them to walk in life with him. That's the power of reverence for Christ as Lord. And then ultimately the last thing. 
We did this a moment ago. We'll do this again shortly. But people who revere Christ as Lord, they worship him who is in control. Who's in control? Now, that can be a personal question or it could be a global question. Who's in control? Um, is it someone in your life that's in control? Is it, I'm in control. Is it a global leader, a political party, a force, a finance person? Who's in control? And the Bible says this, Simon Peter reminds Christians, and this is important for us to revere Christ as Lord, because he reminds Christians that even Jesus, who proclaimed truth to those who died without him, proclaimed truth to those who rejected him, sits at the right hand of God, and he has, in submission to him, angels, authorities, and powers. Philippians chapter 2 is a great chapter, by the way, that talks about this more thoroughly. Philippians chapter 2 in the scripture basically says, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every authority, at the name of Jesus. There is a day coming where everyone will bow. And that means, and he goes on and explains it further, everyone on earth, everyone above earth, and everyone with the analogy beneath earth who rejected him doesn't matter one day everybody will realize in submission to the Lord they will bow how then do we stay in the right way learning how to live as Christians as the church and as people in our world how do we stay in the right direction with God how do we overcome these challenges that we face as Christians I love that phrase. It's very simple. And Simon Peter says it. Revere Christ as your Lord. And when you have reverence for Jesus as your Lord, then you know how to live, how to thrive, how to work in this world, even when it turns against you, how to be the kind of child of God that's going to make a difference and who is going to shine even in a world that seems out of control. Everything is ultimately in submission to him. As we hear these words of Simon Peter from this first letter that he wrote to the churches of that region, what a great way for us to understand the power of what we are about to do. But before we take of the Lord's Supper together, I, I believe that it would be extremely important for each and every soul in this room and also online to take a moment and to do some evaluation of our relationship with Christ. Let me invite you to bow your heads right now. And I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to your heart. This is not a ritual to be taken lightly that we're about to do. And it's not some religious regimen that you just do to make you right with God. What we're about to do is a true reflection of your relationship with Jesus. And as you're pondering your soul, it's very simple. Either you have, by faith, genuinely applied the sacrifice of Christ to your soul, the blood of Christ and the body of Christ on the cross to bring you to God, or you have not, and you've put something else in the place to try to bring you to God. 
If you haven't applied the blood of Christ and the body of Christ to your soul and your life as your Savior, then I want to invite you right now to do that. Because if you do not do that, then what we're about to do means zero. Zero. It will just be a cup and it will just be a piece of bread. If you don't have the sacrifice of Jesus applied to your soul. Maybe you've never known how to do that personally. Well, right now I want to tell you and I want to invite you to do that because it's extremely important for you as a child of God. Simply, you can say, God, thank you for your kindness to me, your patience to me, and right now your voice speaking to me. I hear you. I need Jesus. And by faith today, I surrender my reverence to you, Christ. Jesus, you died on the cross to be my sacrifice. Your blood was shed to pay for my sins. Your body was broken to heal my soul. And right now, by faith, genuinely, with all of my heart, I ask you, Jesus, to save me and to become my Lord. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if that is the cry of your soul today toward God, friend, for the first time, you have become a child of God and a Christian. And now, in a moment, when we take the blood, it means that the blood of Jesus covers you. And the sacrifice of Jesus provided for the healing of your soul. He is your Savior, and now is your chance to have deep reverence for Him. Now, Christians, I want to talk to you just briefly. We all need a moment of cleansing, and now's your moment. So to take of the Lord's Supper appropriately, let's pray. Jesus, you are my sacrifice. I confess myself Humanity, my sins, my waywardness to you. And right now, with deep, deep reverence for what you've done to save me, I want to worship you for this holy moment of communion. God, I thank you for the church, for the body of Christ, for believers who know how to live because they have deep reverence for you, Jesus. in our lives and in our world and right now remind us of the power of what you've done as we participate in communion with you. With the cup that you received as you came in today, let me ask you to go on and peel off the first part of this cup. For those of you at home or online, I encourage you to find something even now so that you can participate with us if you miss this moment, then I want you to find a holy, sacred, silent moment for you and for those that you love to gather something to remember the sacrifice of Christ. As we here in this room today have received our cup and our bread as a reminder of the sacrifice of Jesus, we have been told by him every time you do this, as often as you do this, you do this in remembrance 
of me. That's what Jesus said. And it was his body that was broken for us that would bring us forgiveness and healing. So with the cracker that you have in your hand and that you have there in your household, in remembrance of what Jesus did, the greatest sacrifice of all, we take of his body and we eat.
some of the things that you've been giving to. We started this project in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of our world. Look at that. Isn't that fascinating just to be able to see um, Calvary Baptist Church? You'll see that the center of what we do, the cross is there, the cross on our fellowship facility, on our educational facility. You'll see all that God has been doing through you. And that's just a sign, a reminder of the life that we continue to bring. It's why I want to encourage you. Be faithful in your giving. A lot of people question that. Don't question that. Through your giving, it's how we're able to support the International Mission Board through the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention to help refugees in Ukraine. Do you realize that if you tithe, you empower us to do that? But when you don't tithe, there's no way we can. It's not just paying the bills and being a light and making sure that we are able to do ministry. It's impacting the world. That's why you give. That's why the Bible has always talked about God's people being blessed to be a blessing. So your tithe and your offerings are important. I want to encourage you online. Many of you, you stayed disconnected for different reasons, and those are totally understood and under God's grace. But it's time to make sure that you're reconnected, that you're a part of this family of faith, because we live on mission with Jesus. We're intentional about changing our world, and you're a part of that. So continue to be faithful in that. As you leave today, you're able to give either in the offering baskets to those who are there at the doors. You're able to do it digitally. Now, me personally, I'm going to write a check because for me, that's my act of worship. But if you want to hit sin and you go, in Jesus' name, sin, do that, right? That's a good way for you to do that. But by doing that, let it be worship. Let it be your act of worship and know that you're a part of the family of God doing the work of God in the world. That's why we proclaim life. That's why we were saved. It's why we are the kind of people who know how to live because Jesus is that important to us.